You're listening to the Co-Main Event Podcast. And now your hosts, Ben Folks and Chad Dundas. That's right. You're listening to another episode of the Co-Main Event Mixed Martial Arts Podcast. I'm your co-host, Chad Dundas from BleacherReport.com. And joining us, as always, from MMA Junkie in USA Today, it's your friend and mine, Mr. Ben Folks. Well, Ben, playtime's over. We're back on the grind this week. You mean you're back on the grind? I never got off the grind. Well, there was no there was no fighting event last weekend. Yeah, of, but some of us still still work, of. still you know stay after it, rise and grind, embrace the grind, something something grind. Um, uh, I didn't. I don't know. I don't know that I saw much grind from you How this past you? week. How dare you? I saw you? a pretty uh, lifestyle piece about Misha Tate being a hero. Or about it. as, and I can't remember, I wish I could give them credit, but somebody on Twitter uh, termed it hashtag near death style piece. Oh, nice. That's yeah. Right. That, that's, that's good. You know, uh, but I hope you enjoyed your vacation. What'd you do? Uh, it, it didn't, wasn't much of a vacation. I just worked the whole time. Jesus fucking Christ, man. So I got stuff. you know, well, you know how it is when you're, when you, when you're a freelancer, man, you're always doing some goddamn thing. You didn't even, you know, like sip a, sip a Mai Tai on the back porch or something at least. Well, I mean, set up a hammock. If you're asking if alcoholic beverages were consumed in my in my house, yes, but that doesn't necessarily differentiate this past week from any other. Lunch at the strip club, maybe. Yes, constantly went to the strip club buffet. Yeah, they got the best mac and cheese over there. They do. They I'll do. Tell you what, uh, Ben? This week's music comes to us from noted MMA figure Chris Rinney, who careful listeners of the podcast will know as the guy who created the awesome Cain Velasquez Bigfoot Silva woodcut that we're going to. Uh, uh, be sending out this week to essay contest grand prize winner Tom Hoisington this week, right? We'll send that out this weekish. Yeah, we'll start getting serious about thinking about sending that out this week for uh, sure. Turns out Chris Rennie also makes music. His band, unfortunately now defunct, was called The Equation, and you can you can't actually download their songs anywhere. So this is just sort of like an exclusive. Oh, awesome! For the co-main event podcast. Well, I mean, not one, for them, but kind of for us. One of our many exclusives. Yeah. That we have on this show. You're welcome, everybody. Uh, what you can do, however, is follow the man on Twitter at MMA. That's R-I-N-I-M-M-A. And check out his MMA-themed art at RinneyMMA.MyShopify.com. He's just a prolific creator of arts, isn't he? He does. He is. And so uh, we'll put links to that stuff up uh, when we post this episode, as usual. From Oh, and all the, the all of the uh, essays are also up at comainevent.com, including, yeah. including grand prize winner uh, Tom Hoisington's. So go check those out. You know you want to. Three rounds this week, as usual, for the Co-Main Event Podcast. And round number one, well, actually, we're not going to have a round one this week. Um, it's just... Not going to happen at all. So we've decided to say that it's been postponed. Um, I don't know. Maybe it'll happen somewhere, somewhere down the line, weeks from now, when you least expect it. But for now, postponed. Postponed, not canceled. And in round number two, if you don't like the idea of Donald Cerrone versus Jim Miller, I mean, we'll just fuck you. And in round number three, there are... As many as three worthwhile fights on this weekend's UFC Fight Night McGregor versus Brandau. Wait, UFC Fight Night 46? UFC Fight Night Dublin? What the fuck are we even calling these things? Don't these wor- don't you know, don't even worry your head about it because you're not going to watch it anyway. It's on Fight Pass. All that plus are you fucking kidding me and just saying stuff. But first, like we always do about this time, let's do a little bit of listener mail. Listener mail. 
First piece of listener mail this week comes from our old friend Brady Carlson. Haven't heard from him on the podcast for a while. Friend of the show. He writes, so Dominic Cruz is scheduled to return to action. What's the pumped level at for the Dominator's upcoming fight? Super jacked? Medium pumped? What? I'm excited, like really excited. Should I temper my enthusiasm or will Cruz return to form? Um, you know, I think that the only possible reason that there would be to temper your enthusiasm would be the that we have some anecdotal evidence to suggest that Cruz may not make it to the cage. Okay, there's uh, that. But assuming that he does, and we all hope very much that he does, because I think that uh, he's a well-liked guy and uh, uh, certainly a very good fighter, I say you should be at Super Jacked for this, because, you know, in my opinion, it's one of the more interesting stories in all of MMA, even though it happens all the way down at the bantamweight division, to see this guy come back, uh, who never really lost the title in the first place, just had to kind of give it up because his health had kept him out of action for so long, and he's going to come right back into this uh, 135 pound weight class that has all of this other storyline stuff going on with TJ Dillashaw winning the title and now he's gonna uh, rematch with Henan Barrow we think um, and I think that tossing Dominic Cruz in there kind of shaking it all up and see what what tumbles out uh, is pretty exciting as far as I'm concerned I say that as far as your pre-fight excitement levels go ahead and get super jacked with like you said the caveat that you know there's always the chance that something could happen and he could fall out of the fight. Uh, but go ahead and get super jacked for the return of Dominic Cruz for all the reasons you mentioned. But keep expectations for his actual performance manageable. Because, you know, if he goes out there and if he doesn't look great, even if he loses, like, let's not just completely uh, freak out about it. Because that can happen. He's been gone a little while. Last time he fought was, what, October of 2011, I believe. So... Let's give him a little bit of slack here. That's what I'm saying. Let's get excited about his return, but let's not act like this one fight is going to tell us everything we need to know about how Dominic Cruz is going to be after, you know, in the post-long injury layoff portion of his career. Because it might take a little while. So wait, you're pleading for calm? For, for good sense? <laughs> this is, yeah, I'm, I'm urging uh, calm uh, and a kind of a big picture approach to this whole thing. You know, let's get excited about his return uh, and... Uh, you know, get our jacked levels up to, to maximum effect, but let's not just uh, say it's got to be a make or break night for Dominic Cruz. That's this seems like a weird role reversal for us. Like normally I would be the one like pleading for for the MMA community to show even a modicum of sense. And you would be sitting on the other side of the table saying ain't going to happen, ashing your cigar in a giant crystal ashtray. It's always fascinating to hear how you perceive not only yourself and your role in this conversation, but others Maybe as well. Maybe you'd take off your top hat, let's look into it whimsically, and then put it back on your head. So accurate. It's just, it's amazing how you do that. Well, he's fighting Takeya Mizuzaki at UFC 178. Nailed it. And uh, Mizuzaki is on a five-fight win streak. He's got wins over... Uh, Brian Caraway and uh, Eric Perez and Nam Fan in there, but he's also kind of a guy who uh, the UFC has used in the past to to prop people up. They did that with Uriah Faber, right? Um, Uriah Faber beat him back at WEC 52. Uh, he also lost to Brian Bowles. He's lost to Chris Carriasso. So like, he's a guy who beats most of his opponents, but like. Uh, has been known to to get defeated by the absolute best in his weight class. Well, even some of the guys who are just even a little bit tougher, like uh, Eric Perez and Brian Caraway, you know, he has wins over them, but really close wins that easily could have gone the other direction too. 
Uh, so I, you know, I agree with you. I, I think that we need to approach this from a, 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 a realistic point of view that Cruz is coming back after a long layoff. Um, you know, he seems like a guy who would be the type to just kind of jump back in and, and pick up right where he left off. But his style also has a lot to do with mobility and timing and cutting angles and stuff like that. So it's possible that he could be waylaid by a little little bit of ring rust. But I would be pretty surprised if he if he loses to K, to KM Izizaki. I don't know. I wouldn't. I mean, I wouldn't say I would be surprised. I would be surprised if he was not affected by at least some ring rust because, like you said, his style is so dependent on speed and footwork and timing. You know, it's a, it's a hard thing to to capture, especially if you've been gone as long as he has. But if he does come out there and he looks awesome and he goes and he puts uh, Mizugaki away, uh, then, you know, the only reason to dial our jacked levels down a little bit is so that then we can turn them all the way up to 11 if he goes out there and blasts the guy. So you're coming in with lowered expectations as a way to... Uh to like make yourself make it more exciting, make yourself feel better when he looks amazing. I have a variety of reasons for my lowered expectations. The second question this week comes to us from Mike Morgan. He writes, the UFC's women's bantamweight division just got a lot more interesting with the signing of Holly Holm. After Ronda Rousey's 16-second destruction of Alexis Davis, the UFC is scrambling to find a name for Rousey to fight. Will the UFC go the way of the light heavyweight division and find a coffee barista for Holm to beat up? Or will they stick her in there with a top, or wait, or will they stick her in there with a top contender before she gets her shot at uh, at Rousey? Um, so yeah, Holly Holm, after much uh, to do, uh, a lot of ins and outs, as they as they would say in the Big Lebowski, uh, finally inks this deal with the UFC, comes into the UFC's bantam women's bantamweight division, and uh, very much is uh, maybe the most exciting addition that they've had since they started the damn thing. Um, well, and it's interesting, wasn't it, too, how uh, before she signed, the USC kind of downplayed it. Oh, we don't know about her. We don't know about her management. And then as soon as she was signed, uh, she gets her own special Twitter thing with a picture of her, like, doing a high kick and some, some tight shorts and all that kind of stuff. She gets a big, like, kind of rolling out the red carpet kind of welcome. I hope that the UFC does see that potential for Holly Holm, that she could come in there and, uh, you know, she's exactly the kind of person you need right now. You need name opponents uh, that people are going to get excited about seeing Ronda Rousey face. But this is a good question, because what do you do with her? Do you say that Holly Holm has already done enough outside the UFC to come in and get an immediate title shot? It's kind of tough to, to make that argument. I can see how you might want to see her fight somebody first, fight somebody yeah. in the top 10 and see how she does. Uh, but... You know, if you're also going to make the argument that Gina Carano uh, could come in and get an immediate title shot, which you know it was what they would do if they signed Gina Carano. There's no way they're signing Gina Carano to have her come in and and fight uh, Sarah Kaufman or something uh, on the undercard. You know, they're if they if they sign Gina Carano, they're throwing her in there against Ronda and then cashing the checks right away. Uh, if you're going to make that argument, then man, Holly Holm seems like she could have you know just as strong a case athletically for a title shot. Yeah, but I mean. The Gina Carano thing isn't based in any kind of sense or logical, like, fight-related argument. The only people that would even try to make, uh, like, a, an athletic argument for Gina Carano getting an immediate shot for against Ronda Rousey have just been taking crazy pills. Or that they're the people who are going to be receiving those checks that you were talking about. Which, could be both. They could be receiving the checks and taking crazy pills. Yeah, I mean, so, because clearly Holly Holm has a lot better case to slide right into a fight against Ronda Rousey than Gina Carano would. But I still don't really really think you could do it like i think holly holm is gonna have to have at least 
one fight before they, they toss her in there with Ronda Rousey. Uh, and, and like we've talked about before on the show, I think that she is, from an athletic standpoint, uh, the exactly the kind of person that the UFC women's bantamweight division needs because she seems like the kind of uh, athlete that will be able to compete with Ronda Rousey's athleticism. I don't know if she's going to have the takedown defense necessary to, to stay up off the ground and, and not eventually get her arm broken. Um, and I, you know, I, I, I've seen Holly Holm fight a couple of times, but I'm not sure. I don't really have a handle on how she would match up against Ronda Rousey size wise, because the thing that, uh, we, we talk about on this show, but I feel like kind of gets ignored a lot of the times about Ronda Rousey is that she's an enormous 135 pound fighter for that division, uh, just towers over most of the people that she fights. Um, and, and so it would be interesting to see what Holly Holm would be able to do physically against her. Obviously she's a really decorated striker, uh, and, and uh, has been training down at Jackson's for a while and, and has that seven to no record on the, on the independent circuit, but still maybe a little bit unproven and, and inexperienced. So I think I would like to see what she could do against someone in the top 10, uh, in the UFC before they, they throw her in there with Ronda Rousey. But you know what sport we're talking about here. <laughs> There's a, a storied history of bringing in a person that you would like to build up for a certain thing and having them go out there to fight somebody, and all you get back is a box of their bones. That's right. Because well, they do not win. Uh, by the way, Wikipedia says that Ronda Rousey is 5'7", and that Holly Holm is 5'8". Uh, so I'm not sure that height tells the whole tale. That's there, true. Though. That like, is true. Uh, Ronda Rousey is still pretty big, but you know, I, I've been in the Jackson's gym when Holly Holm was there and she's in there mixing it up, wrestling with the dudes and, and holding her own. And according to Julie Kedzie, who said, you know, a couple of years ago, uh, it used to be Holly beating her up on the feet and Julie being able to take her down and, and keep her there. And then the rules changed. Uh, and Holly was the one who was able to take her down and, and hold her there if you wanted to. So, you know, she's definitely improved that part of her game. I would also think that it might be a similar kind of thing, like we say about Ronda Rousey, that if you want to, if you're going to fight her, you should fight her sooner before her hands get better. Although it might already be too late for that. Uh, and maybe with Holly Holm, it's a similar kind of thing. If you're going to beat her on the ground, you might want to fight her sooner before she has a chance to really develop and get comfortable with that part of her game. Uh, but, you know, I think that if you are going to have her fight somebody, you got to do the thing. And the UFC has gotten pretty good about this, I think, most of the time and learning the lesson that, like, look, if you put them up against somebody just to them to get a win, um, it either doesn't work or it, it doesn't catapult them the way you think that it's going to. Uh, you should put them up against somebody where regardless of who wins, you can be OK with it. I mean, maybe somebody like a, a Sarah Kaufman or something would work for that. You know, let's put her in there against a former champion and, and find out how she stacks up. And, and she probably matches up physically pretty well with Sarah Kaufman, uh, can probably stand there and, and keep that fight on the feet and at, at her comfortable range and, and maybe pick her apart. But it would be an interesting enough test that then if she does go out there and, and beat up somebody like that, then there's a lot, there's a big push. A lot of people who are going to be interested in seeing her fight Ronda Rousey. Cause I do think we're getting to that point with Rousey where it's not going to be enough to just throw a warm body in there anymore. It's going to have to be somebody who, who brings something of their own to the table. Yeah. I think you just made the best point right there. And that's that we talk a lot about, Oh, I don't know how Holly Holmes takedown defense would be just because she's, you know, was known as a, as a boxer before getting into MMA. But like the truth is nobody has had the takedown defense to withstand uh, what Ronda Rousey brings to the table. And I think you made the best point just in saying this division needs name people that seem dangerous that can come in and fight Ronda Rousey because you're not going to be able to sell her against 20 to one underdogs and, and 10 to one underdogs. Uh, I don't think really, really any further. Um, so if you're, if you're not going to get cyborg Justino, 
who weirdly enough is going to fight on Fight Pass and is featured prominently in the advertisement for that Invictus show. How about that? Uh, it's a crazy world, isn't it? And I think the best that you can do is Holly Holm at this point um, to to come in and, and at least try to give her a test, right? Yeah, and I don't think it's I don't think it's like a settling for second best necessarily. I am excited to see how Holly Holm will sure, do against yeah. some of those fighters. Uh, and I think that the thing with Rousey, like we've talked about before, is uh, if you're going to stand a chance with her, you got to keep her away from you. You got to keep her at a distance and keep her from getting close and grabbing you. And it seems like lately all she's needed is to kind of punch her way in, uh, stun you a little bit, or just even you know. Take, be willing to take a few to get close enough to grab you and, and close that distance. And if Holly Holm has a skill set to force her to do something else, win or lose, that makes for an interesting fight and we find out a little something more about Ronda Rousey. If they do sign Gina Carano and put her into this end of the year fight uh, against against Ronda Rousey, are we going to have a are you going to have an apology issue? Me a formal apology or uh, anything like that on the show? Like you would come here hat in hand top hat in hand that we talked about a little while ago and, and have a I was right you were wrong kind of moment wait what where is this coming from what would I be apologizing to you for for just your your incredulousness your incredulity the last several times we've brought this up I keep bringing up how I think that they still want to do the Gina Carano Ronda Rousey fight and you keep saying you keep poo-pooing it saying no it was just a marketing thing for a movie i think uh, on gina carano's side i think it probably was mostly a marketing side thing for a movie i have no doubt that the ufc really wants to do it because they don't have any interest in trying to help gina carano at the box office if it's not we're gonna pay off for them they're they're not in that kind of uh habit of helping people out when there's not some some money coming their way in the end of the day so i do think the ufc would definitely like to get gina carano in there have ronda rousey throw her on her head and yank her arm off and um, make a bunch of goddamn money even though it would be a silly fight just silly uh but i don't know that gina carano wants it as badly as the ufc wants it or wants it enough to actually do it uh and you know now i i heard i heard rumors from uh your guy at bleach report jeremy botter talking about that maybe uh the, the movie studio will uh put the kibosh on that because maybe it doesn't make her look like a great action star to go in there and just get absolutely punked by the chick from the expendable seven or whatever it is yeah i saw uh several mma headlines this past week referring to quote unquote hollywood which kind of made it sound like we're back to referring to the government in all caps, like Hollywood is going to come in and, and squash this potential deal. Oh, man. Fucking Still, Hollywood. if it happens, I'll, you know, you want to bring in a written statement or whatever. It's up to you, man. However you want to apologize. It's amazing how you're already trying to claim some sort of weird credit for this. Uh, the next question comes from Michael Westifer. He writes, Ollie Baggs test is tested out of competition on June 2nd. On June 14th, he fights and loses a unanimous decision to Demetrius Johnson. On June 10th, the BCAC announces that both main eventers and six other randomly chosen fighters passed their fight night drug tests. Ali Baggs' June 2nd test came back positive for EPO. Two things. First, don't we want to know the result of the out-of-competition tests before they fight? And second, why the fuck does it take nearly six weeks to get these results and or make them public? And then three different sentences here. What the fuck? And then discuss. <laughs> nice. It seems well like, done. like, yeah, it's a, that's a, that's a great, that's a great letter. That's a great email to the podcast, which is why we used it here on the show. Uh, and bravo to Michael Westifer. But like, and he raises some legitimate questions, but like, kind of, are we missing the point? Yeah, okay. I mean, these are valid points to discuss, but yeah, it's, there is also the broader point of just what the hell is going on there. And I think it really, th this should tell us something, man, because uh, pass that fight night test and think about how long we've been just getting by on just the fight night tests and saying, 
that's it. That's that's good enough. That that'll clean up the sport. Tested by the government. All this other stuff that uh, we've been hearing for years. And this one instance uh, proves how useless that is. Right. Because he passed the fight night test, and it was only the test a couple weeks before that that caught him unawares uh, that nabbed him with EPO in his system. Right. Uh, it is. It does make you wonder. Like, okay, if you know that you can't get the results of that test, uh, you know, before uh, the fight, then maybe that calls into question the timing of when you decided to do the test. I don't know why it takes that long to get the results, to be honest with you. My guess would be because the normal fight night urine drug testing that they do doesn't even test for stuff like HGH and EPO, right? Like they have to do uh, a supplemental test, an additional test that I think is blood based in order to even uh, test for, for HGH and EPO because, you know, up until very, very recently, it's been kind of the wild west on that stuff. There hasn't really yeah. been a reliable test and guys didn't think that they were going to get tested for it. They didn't think that it could be detected by the, the normal athletic commission tests that they were taking. And that's why you get all of these, the, the, these fringy rumors about uh, various percentages of people in the sport that are using the preferred stack of uh, performance enhancing drugs. Uh, I mean, I think that the, 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 so I guess, yeah, my, my original, my first point would be, I think it takes longer because that's a different test. So they would do the, the fight night test, uh, for, you know, urine analysis and then to, to check for HGH and EPO, they would have to do an, either an additional or a different test that may in fact, and I don't know, take longer. Uh, but I think the major point is, is, they're finally test they're testing and catching guys for HGH and EPO, which is a whole new world in drug testing for mixed martial arts. Uh, and, and, and the that, batting average is pretty high, it seems. So already, far, yeah. Especially you're going to come out and catch a flyweight uh, in the fly after the tie flyweight title fight. Uh, so uh, you know, it's not like you can, it's not like you can just use the eye test here, look around at these guys and think, oh, that guy looks good getting off the bus. He must be on something. Like you know, uh, when when flyweight challengers uh, from respectable gyms that we think are, are you know are, are mostly clean are coming out and testing positive for EPO, it does raise questions. But I think that the the most important point to make here is that yeah, it took a little bit longer. In a perfect world, uh, those of us interested in a clean sport would like to find out before the fight actually happens. But at least they're testing guys for this stuff and catching them. Well, and I imagine that you do have to try and time your tests for when you think it would be most likely that they you would catch them on this stuff. And if that happens to be two weeks before the fight and and it takes six weeks to get the results, then, you know, I guess I'd rather you do that than uh, either test at a different time when they're not as likely to be using this stuff or not do the testing at all. I mean, I, I, I think, though, that you're right that the important thing is to note that, hey, isn't it weird that once we started doing this testing, a lot of guys started suddenly popping up positive for this kind of stuff. Uh, and hopefully we just double down on that testing instead of going the opposite direction because I think it'll be really noticeable uh, if uh, we we move in the other direction now after we, we're seeing it, it raised to the forefront of our consciousness with this kind of stuff. I mean, I think that the only way uh, through is forward kind of here that you, you got to keep on with this kind of stuff and this thing should stuff like this this should put some real fear into some dudes uh some guys who are on that stuff uh and you know we've heard that it's pretty 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 widespread so if you're one of those guys you got to be freaking out a little bit right now and you should be and that is exactly the desired response yeah and you know i think that that uh it speaks volumes 
to see the guys like Tim Kennedy, for example, who are coming out very vocally uh, to d- ask and demand for uh, increased drug testing on, on future fights. And if you're a guy in this sport who's doing it clean and, and doing it the right way, uh, I would think you would want to be really vocal about that right now, considering where we are in this subculture in terms of, of uh, uh, performance enhancing drugs and guys starting to get caught because uh, if you're not out there, at the tip of the spear advocating for increased drug testing, that kind of speaks volumes, at least to me. Like if an, so if I was a guy that, that, that was trying to do it the right way and do it on the level, I was, I'd be on the Twitter machine all day talking about it. Yeah. Talking about how I would only test positive for marinara sauce or whatever it was that Matt Sarah said. <laughs> You'd only test positive for strip club macaroni and cheese. That's right. I mean, that'd be off the charts, frankly. <laughs> uh, the last listener mail this week comes from John Crowley. He writes, I've heard a lot about how terrible the pay-per-view numbers were for UFC 174, and since the UFC seems to refuse to slow down its pace of nonstop events, what would you think of a varied pay model? I've ordered pretty much every pay-per-view for the past 10 years, and even I passed on 174. It just looked too thin, lacked star power, and had some fights with the potential of being really bad. Uh, and then he puts parenthetically Arlovsky Shab, Woodley McDonald. But if it was just 30 bucks instead of 54.99, I probably would have bought it anyway. Do you think? Something like this could work. We did all shell out the extra money last year for Silva Weidman too. Uh, yeah, I think that that's probably that might be a great idea personally. And uh, you know, we've talked about this before on the podcast, but uh, considering what's happened to the price of just being a UFC fan over the last four or five years, uh, I, I I'm still of the opinion that the the fight company should be looking for ways to give back to the. Uh, hardcore fan base that supported it for so long as it was sort of coming of age and, and trundling through the dark ages. I think that it would be uh, not only an effective strategy to get people who aren't going to buy the pay-per-view to order it by offering them, you know, a, a discounted rate, uh, but also, uh, y- you know, would just be a nice gesture to those of us who have, <laughs> who have uh, spent so much time and energy and money over the years uh, really, really supporting this sport. Now, you, maybe you get into some downsides too in terms of, uh, uh, coming out and, and stamping a dollar figure on some of your stars and, uh, you know, guys who, who get money from the pay per view would have to have uh, different deals and stuff to be worked out. But like, just as a general on the surface idea, I'm into it. I'm into it too. And I think it'll never happen. Um, I, I do like your idea of it as a nice gesture for MMA fans. Maybe right. a $30 pay-per-view, and uh, if you buy it in HD, you also get a bunt cake. Or a hat. Yeah. One of those uh, trucker hats. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, I don't see them doing that for several of the reasons you mentioned there at the end. Although, I mean, I think that... Well, also because they're running a business. Right? Well, and they're because not, it, they're not here to make friends. No, they're not here to make friends. And it seems like the UFC uh, increasingly sees the fans that it has as like... Okay, we don't need to worry about them anymore. Like they're they're in our pocket here. There, we can count on them for a certain amount of cash. Uh, and if you're, you know, a fight fan, you call yourself a, a fan of MMA and the UFC, then we just pick you up by your ankles and shake every last quarter out of you. Uh, and it's always about the next fans, the next market, all all that kind of stuff. Like the UFC seems like they're not concerned enough with what current fans think to even care that people would 
balk at the pay-per-view price of some of the weaker pay-per-views. They're just going to keep telling you that it's awesome and it's the best pay-per-view ever and the biggest threat to so-and-so's title and so-and-so is also probably one of the greatest pound-for-pound fighters on the earth and this is why you Probably number one. Probably. Probably number one. Uh, And that's why you should give them money for this. And I mean, they don't don't have that in them, that that thing that might cause them to reevaluate the pricing structure. Although, yeah, I'd be into it. But I think what you're going to see is more... like stuff that creeps up the other direction where you're paying for basically $10 pay-per-views on fight pass. I think that that's just going to become the norm. I mean, that is a much cheaper pay-per-view. It is basically what you're talking about here is they're, they're weaker fight cards and they're offered for much less money. Um, it's just that right now people like Chad Dundas question whether they are so weak and the money's still too much. Yeah. And you know, as you say all of that, I know that you're not like, uh, you're not condoning that because obviously I think that that's a really short-sighted business model to be like, well, these people are our fans and will always be with us, so we don't need to worry about them. Like, isn't, I think it would isn't, be, it this, isn't that what it seems that they're doing? I, though? I absolutely agree with you. I, I'm just advocating for a different position. Like, I think that uh, it would be better for them if they did do some kind of varied uh, pay-per-view pricing structure or, you know, like we've talked about in the past, if you buy Fight Pass, you get three golden tickets for whatever pay-per-views you want to use them on that year. You can cash them in and use and get those for free or at a reduced rate, whatever. Uh, I think that that would be, you know, would not only get more people to sign up for the service and would get more people to buy the, the pay-per-views that you're going to offer at a reduced rate, but also would be like a, a wonderful marketing opportunity. Yeah. I guess that's what I mean to say. Like, I don't, when I say it's a nice gesture obviously i'm not expecting anyone from the ufc to come shake my hand and thank me for being such a loyal fan for all these years but like like that would give them an an awesome marketing opportunity to be like hey man we just want to give back to you the fans yeah no you're right and you know i think uh, dish network used to do this thing where you could buy it would be like hey if you go ahead and pay for four the next four usc pay-per-views right now you'll get the fifth one for free or at a discounted price or something and i remember at one point they gave me like free uh coupons for like free pay-per-view movies because i was buying so many goddamn pay-per-views uh and then i don't know if they just stopped doing that like as a like a corporate rule or if they just like maybe looked at my bill and were like this guy must have something because he buys every single one of these even the ones that are obviously shitty uh, because they don't do that anymore. But I do agree that that's a nice gesture. I don't know that anyone was and a bunt cake would be nice. was going in and, and personally scrutinizing your cable bill, but maybe. I don't know. Maybe the NSA. And was- if, if they were, uh, I only ordered the naughty moms and stepdaughters uh, thing for research purposes. That's one to use your voucher on right there. Uh, that's going to do it for listener mail this week. If you have a question, comment, concern to air to the co-main event podcast in future weeks, you assholes know how to get a hold of us at this point. Go to the website, comainevent.com. Click the link in the top right-hand corner of the screen that says email the podcast. That'll get you in touch with us. Hell, man, while you're there, you can sign up for the Breakfast of Champions, the co-main event podcast weekly newsletter that comes out every Friday morning and gets you up to date on all the news that we miss between Monday and Friday, especially since some shit will no doubt go down as soon as we publish this thing. Happens every time. Uh, so that's you hook up with the breakfast of champions. You'll get to hear us blather on even more about and stuff. Don't forget to scroll all the way down for the fun quote that Chad picks out every week. 
I think some people might be missing that and, you know, maybe playing themselves a little bit in the process. Yeah. And I have already complained to you about how on the, uh, the audio extra that we do after pay-per-views in the fine print at the bottom, I made it say that like, uh, that reproduction of this is prohibited by the express written consent of major. Yes, no, baseball, I thought that was clever, which is a joke. Like we've had tons of people email to be like, dude, I think you fucked up. Like, did you copy and paste this from major league baseball? <laughs> I've just been like, I give up. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I give up. Hey, you, you, you dribble and you shoot, Chad. I guess so. You miss 100% of the shots you don't take. Isn't that what they say? That is what they Jordan, say. Jordan, yeah. Gretzky. I can't remember All who of said them. that. Anyway, that's going to do it for Listener Mail this week. Uh, we will be right back with round number one. Ben, UFC 176 was all set to go August 2nd, 2014, live from the Staples Center in Los Angeles, California. A beautiful poster featuring the Brazilian and American flags, just like every other UFC poster yeah. at this point. Pretty popular. Uh, had been made up. Uh, we were ready to watch Jose Aldo rematch with Chad Mendez, but it's not to be, as we found out this past week, that Jose Aldo once again has been injured and is out of the bout. Uh, it's going to be rescheduled for down the road, and all of the other fights are going to be moved to uh, different fight cards, which there's no shortage of those floating around. Uh, and that this event, quote-unquote, has been postponed. Huh. Interesting. Now, uh, I guess to open things up, and talk a little bit about the word games that are going on here. Uh, is I know it, you love word games. Is it possible that the UFC learned something from the kerfuffle of the cancellation of UFC 151 in that they didn't hold a news conference here to call Jose Aldo a sport killer uh, and instead softened the blow a little bit here with a uh, 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 just a press release that nonetheless uh, – misused some vocabulary in describing what was going on here. Yeah, uh, I do wonder exactly. I mean, uh, good that they didn't call a, a media conference call just to bury one of the company's stars, because that's probably not a great move in the long term. I do wonder if they really thought that they're going to get away with this postponement thing, that everybody wouldn't look at that and realize exactly what it is. Like, you're not going to hold the event. The, the numbering scheme will go on and forget this one. Uh, the same way it did to UFC 151, which it acknowledged was canceled. Uh, there won't be an event at the Staples Center. Uh, all the other fights spread out across a bunch of different cards. Uh, this one probably rebooked for a completely different continent. Uh, so in no way is this a postponement. And you got to think, like, if you have any respect for the intelligence of your fans, that they're going to realize that and they're going to point that out. And so then it puts you in this position of, uh, the first thing they say in response to you delivering this bad news is that, you know, you're misrepresenting it. Uh, I, I don't see how that's a good thing for you. I think that you should just call it what it is, uh, and take whatever's criticism is going to come from that, uh, or whatever response is going to come from that and don't heap the accusation that you're trying to lie to people on top of it. Yeah. See, that's, that's the question here. Like what is going on in terms of like this particular word usage in this, uh, this press release? Uh, is it a simple mistake? Because like no. all of the fights that are on this card 
are in fact being postponed. They're being rescheduled for a later date. UFC 176 itself, as far as we know, isn't going to happen. So it's been canceled. So uh, is it possible that whoever did this is just so inept that they didn't really know the difference between postponed and canceled? Or like are, as they say, as you say, just like trying to like pull the wool over our eyes in some weird way that seems like it just created more trouble than it was worth. It seems like I saw the use of postponement from every like UFC, you know, source uh so consistently that it doesn't seem like that was an accident. Like that right. that was it wasn't like they were just saying postponed when really they meant canceled because you if you watch Lorenzo Fertitta on the Fox Sports 1 thing, you know, or listen to him where he calls in and, he, and he's interviewed uh, and the the questions that uh, the the anchor there that she's asking him leads you to believe that she is basically trying to figure out wait do you mean postponed or do you mean canceled because she keeps asking these questions and his answers at one point she's like so is UFC one seventy six like that number like ever going to happen and his response is that will probably be an answer to a Jeopardy question about the event that never happened if it never happened that means it's canceled that doesn't mean postponed postponed means will happen at a later date I mean it's one thing to say the main event was postponed like that that could be true um, but that does not mean that you can say the event was postponed because the the other fights are being spread out across several different cards, yeah. which also, as we pointed out in the Breakfast of Champions, kind of makes the point that a lot of people have been making, which is that uh, the UFC could have stronger cards if it did fewer of them. Because you see all these fights taken and added to other cards, and they bolster those other cards for the most part. You, you, you get another extra pretty good fight that you didn't get uh, because one event was kind of struck off the calendar. I mean, I think that tells you something right there. Yeah, that uh isn't that 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 UFC event that's going to be at the uh at Foxwoods? Is that yes. the one that uh Yeah, the one that's totally doesn't have anything to do with competing uh against Bellator even though it's on a Friday night for some reason. Yeah, so that one that that's where we got Jacare Souza versus Gegard Mousasi moved to uh and that's actually looking like kind of a cool card at this point. Uh cuz you got uh Matt Matrione taking on the black beast, Derek Lewis at that card. Mm -hmm. Uh, and then you got Alistair Overeem in like kind of an underwhelming matchup against Ben Rothwell, but still one where a couple of heavyweights are just going to bang bro. Uh, so I think you're right. It like we do, uh, this is kind of like a, a, a thing that just underscores what a lot of people have been saying for a long time, that if you're not doing all of these events, the events that you do do become stronger. Yeah. And unwittingly providing proof to, for that hypothesis right here. Let me lay this on you, though. What if, I'm just spitballing here, maybe summer 2016, we're into the low 200s, maybe, okay. or high 190s of our pay-per-view schedule, when all of a sudden, out of the blue, boom, UFC 176 gets dropped on you. <laughs> then aren't, everybody's face is going to be pretty red then when UFC 176 yeah. Out of the blue with no warning. Boom, motherfucker. <laughs> Boy, Same well, card as advertised the first time. <laughs> I will I will really feel stupid then. Showing up at the Staples Center with uh, you know, calling everybody up, getting the getting the team back together, the old UFC one seventy six guys all being pulled from far corners of the universe. I imagine by then some of them at least one of them will be like a, a monk in Thailand, right? And then we'll have to like send somebody lorenzo will have to chop her in to talk him to come out for one last mission right i mean that's got to yes. happen yeah 
Uh, well, let's talk a little bit about some of the fallout from this. Obviously, Chad Mendez and Jose Aldo have used the occasion uh, to take what was uh, a, a tepidly simmering feud and fire it into a, a real blood feud here as the champion went out and penned an open letter to Chad Mendez, which is always a good idea. rage, by the way, yeah. in MMA right now. We've, we've had more open letters in the past month or two than we've had in the last maybe five years of a high level MMA competition. But uh, depending on the translation that you want to use, he either called Chad Mendez a pussy or called him a coward. Uh, one, one or the other kind of same thing and uh, made multiple references to the quote unquote supplements that Chad Mendez is on and how those help Chad Mendez stay healthy. While Jose Aldo has these inner injuries because he's not on those quote unquote supplements to which Chad Mendez jumped on Twitter Posted a couple of throwback pictures of himself as a child, uh, and also a picture of him continuing to work out, and informed Jose Aldo, supplement these nuts. These nuts. Now, what I want to ask you is, who do you think was the sorry son of a bitch who speaks Portuguese that had to explain to Jose Aldo what <laughs> supplement these nuts means? Oh, I hope that he showed him that one video of the guy pulling off the awesome D's nuts joke after a uh, appearance on the people's court. I believe it was because <laughs> uh, that I think kind of explains it. I, my favorite thing to come out of that was uh, Chad Mendez posting a newspaper clipping from when he was a child and won some like kind of state wrestling championship. And uh, it revealed that he was a member of something called the Lemore Farm Boys. That's boys with a Z uh, wrestling club, which that's awesome. Not only does it really kind of date the era that we're talking about when he was a child wrestling prodigy, um, but it's just fun to imagine like a 10-year-old Chad Mendez out there repping the Lemore Farm Boys, isn't it? Yeah, especially with his Z. Also, Chad Mendez looking pretty good getting off the bus at like 12 years old. Yeah, like, and I, I mean, I guess that's that was his point there was that, uh, you know, he just has the genetics going on. He doesn't need the supplements to look like that. Uh, but, you know, the thing to me is like, okay, I get that Jose Aldo isn't going to take kindly to dudes being like, oh, he's faking an injury and the bout gets moved uh, to his home country. Uh, and I understand that fighters always seem to be like super paranoid about that there are many strings being pulled uh, for the other guy and against them. So I can see how Chad Mendez thought that this was no coincidence that it happened that way. But obviously, Jose Aldo's not going to like that. He fires back. Uh, one thing, hey, call the guy a pussy if you want or a coward or whatever. That's standard fight fair. Uh, suggesting that he's on some special supplements when you don't really have any proof for it. Kind of a kind of a low blow there, I think. Yeah, now let's be let's you know let's be fair. There were some uh, some rumors the other way too. I think Greg Savage on Sherdog sure Radio said that uh, there were some rumors going around on the back channels that Jose Aldo had dropped out of this fight a day after uh, the California State Athletic Commission had inquired how to get a hold of him uh, to 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 give him a drug test. Oh, so like, that's interesting. I had not heard that. So that's it's happening on both sides. As as for right now, though, there's no proof you know that anything is going on, which is. You know, it's it's a little uh, hinky to just start casting stones. What kind of fucking ironclad balls would you have to have if you knew that you had pulled out because you were afraid of failing a drug test to then jump out there and start the steroid accusations by lobbing one against the other guy? 
Well, I guess you'd have to have Chael Sonnen-sized balls. Just huge balls clanging together when you walk. <laughs> Speaking of D's nuts. Anyway, let's do uh, Are You Fucking Kidding Me? And then we'll move on to round number two. Uh, ben, this week, my Are You Fucking Kidding Me? I know you probably saw this story. Uh, your guy, Dustin Holyco, showed up to fight at World Series of Fighting Eleven. And uh, lo and behold, turned out he had some white power tattoos that no one had ever seen before. Uh, That'll happen. Kind of a, a, of an embarrassing situation for World Series of Fighting. Uh, according to some news reports that came out after the event, maybe he also didn't have a license to fight in Florida at World of Series of Fighting 11. All Happens of, all the time. To which all of I, I say to all of which, are you fucking kidding me? If only there were a way that we could find out, A, what these fighters looked like before we booked them in fights, and B, whether or not they had extensive criminal records or ties to white supremacist organizations or a license to get in there and do the damn thing. Fucking kidding me? Are you fucking kidding me? Well, Chad, uh, this week, my are you fucking kidding me, you know, it has to go out to your dude, Vanderlei Silva. Oh, yeah. The axe murderer. Uh, you know, we were a little worried what would become of Vanderlei Silva after he ran away from that drug test in Nevada. Uh, it seemed like uh, that was going to be bad for him, and he seemed to maybe not realize the full extent of what had happened, or he was putting out videos to try and trick us about the full extent of what had happened. Um, we weren't sure which one of those it was. Um, now it seems like maybe he doesn't really realize what's going on because, uh, in a recent interview with Tatami, uh, he said that, uh, you know, everything is fine. He, he'll be cleared to fight as soon as possible. He did some tests on his own in Brazil on June 6th to see, uh, if he was all clean and, uh, what his testosterone levels were. So he's good. Uh, as he says, I'm oh, totally okay. clean and cleared to fight as soon as possible. Are you fucking kidding me? No, you aren't. That is just not true. Vanderlei, come on, man. Have somebody explain this stuff to you if you don't understand how it works. You fucking kidding me? Are you fucking kidding me? Has anyone ever failed their own test? Or do we just not hear about those? <laughs> I would I would love it if somebody had to put out a, a press release regretfully stating that they failed their own test, but <laughs> it was because of an over-the-counter supplement, uh, and they're really going to look into that. All right, well, that's going to do it for round number one. We will be right back with round number two. Well, Chad, in a fight that seems like it'd be pretty awesome if it happened in a parking lot of a bar in Brick, New Jersey, Donald Cowboy Cerrone and Jim Miller are going to throw down Wednesday night at uh, UFC Fight Night whatever in Atlantic City. Uh, now, this this is the kind of thing I can get into. Just a couple of lightweights trying to kill each other for our viewing pleasure. Yeah, I mean, if you, like, all joking aside... Donald Cerrone versus Jim Miller is a fight that I feel like everyone should be able to get into. That's like uh, spending a day on the lake drinking drinking cocktails with your friends. It's that's the that's the it's the fighting equivalent of that. Like nothing productive is going to happen, <laughs> but like these two awesome dudes who wore 
pretty much matching camouflage hats to the press conference today are going to go out and put on what we all believe is going to be a crackerjack fight. Neither of them are going to be the champion anytime soon. Neither of them are going to be number one contender, but they're two solidly uh, top 10 lightweights that are going to go out and just probably do horrible violence to each other. Yeah. And it's going to be amazing. And then afterwards, Donald Cerrone is going to pound a Budweiser and Jim Miller is going to sip some some craft brew that he probably made himself in his kitchen. Uh, and a good time will be had by all. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm into it, you know, especially like this is the kind of thing where you see this pop up on your, your Wednesday night, uh, fight night calendar and you think, yes, why can't we have more of this? And I guess right. the answer is because we have just so much, uh, that it's kind of spread out. But I mean, this is the kind of thing where like, yeah, you throw this stuff on free TV and that's how you get people who are surfing around seeing some, some seeing what's on the tube. They come across Jim Miller and Donald Cerrone. Uh, yeah, I could see how you might become a fan after that. Yeah, well, amid all of the, the criticisms of the schedule, which I think are justified and valid and, and right for everyone to make, let's also take a moment, though, to acknowledge the awesome fights of July 2014. We've already seen Chris Weidman against Lyoto Machida at UFC 175. We're, we think, unless some unforeseen calamity occurs, we're going to get Robbie Lawler against uh, Matt Brown, right, in a couple of weeks at UFC on Fox. And then we're going to get this fight on Wednesday, Donald Cerrone against Jim Miller, which we all believe is going to be awesome. And there there doesn't seem to be another alternative to this fight. Uh, and, you know, we had Frankie Edgar, BJ Penn, which seemed like it could have been awesome, but then turned out to be like a death in the family. Uh, but but. The potential for three legitimately totally rad fights in one month. I think we should give a nod to that in appreciation and then add in as a, as an addendum would be, wouldn't it be have been awesome if they were all on the same card? Because well, that would have been some shit. That would have been something special. Now you're just, you're just dreaming the impossible dream now. You know, you know, you mentioned though the, that nothing productive is going to happen here. I think you got four pretty decent lightweight cards right at the top there the, in the co-main event. Or I mean, you got four uh, decent lightweight fighters uh, right there at the top uh, with Cerrone and Miller and then Edson Barboza and Evan Dunham. I mean, I wouldn't go go ahead and say, hey, they're just fighting to put some blood on the TV screen for you. I mean, I think those guys could all still do something. You never know exactly what's going to happen there, especially a guy like Edson Barboza. You know, who knows where, uh, where he ends up. Uh, I think that this is exactly the kind of fight that you do want to put on like a midweek cable TV fight card because, you know, it's not completely bereft of any meaning. Um, but mostly it's just going to be like awesome entertainment, uh, to throw out all these guys here. I mean, all, altogether, like this is the kind of thing that, uh, is actually worth staying home for and, and making sure you catch on a Wednesday night or heading to your local Buffalo Wild Wings as I know you like to do. <laughs> right. Uh, cause, uh, if there's anything I like more than fighting, it's having a seizure from all the damn TVs. Uh, I w that was, the, you're right that there are stakes here and there are, there is meaning inherent in this fight. And I think that that's good and, and should be celebrated. It would also be awesome if there weren't any stakes involved in this fight. When I said that nothing meaningful would come of it, it was more of a commentary on the general state of the lightweight division rather than just this fight. Like whoever wins this, uh, they're going to, they would have to have two or three more fights before they would ever get a shot at the lightweight, uh, title. Or if you're Donald Cerrone, you would have to have six or seven more fights because, you know, you like to fight once every three weeks because uh, you got to keep the lights on out at the Cerrone family ranch. And you got to keep the, the gas in the speedboat, right? 
Right, but just the state of the uh, of the lightweight division is such that that title is going to be in suspended animation until the end of the year, and then we got to wait and see what what happens with Pretty Tony Pettis and uh, Gilbert Melendez, who are going to fight for it. So no matter who wins this one, uh, they, I believe they both are come in on three fight win streaks. Although Jim Miller had that one no contest against uh, Pat Healy uh, that got overturned when when Healy tested positive for marijuana. Is that yeah. what it was? Yeah. Uh, come on. Come on. Uh, so I mean, some work to be done for either of these guys before they get into, uh, into, you know, real con- contender status. Although they both come in with essentially all of the fight night awards of the last two years. Um, and then, and so, uh, we, we expect fireworks. Uh, and you know what I think is kind of awesome about this fight is that it's also could be fireworks of varying, uh, d- degrees and, and different kinds because while Jim Miller and Donald Cerrone are both guys who are really, really well liked by fans and they both have, uh, reasonably high profiles, they're two guys that kind of come at things from different ends of the spectrum which I think is kind of awesome. Yeah, and both have just a whole lot of skills that they can put to use there. I mean, I don't think necessarily that with guys like that, especially a guy like Donald Cerrone, I mean, the UFC loves them some Donald Cerrone, and with good reason. I mean, and he, vice versa. Yeah, he is exactly the kind of dude that uh, Dana White talks about liking to be in business with. Not only uh, is he a fun guy to put out there, whether he wins or loses, and people like to see him fight, uh, but like you said, he likes to fight a lot likes to fight as much as physically possible. Another thing that the UFC loves, uh, especially now that it has so many damn fight cards to fill. A guy like that, where you know he's going to put on a show, I don't think he needs to win as many in a row as somebody else does uh, in order to get the title shot. I think he just needs to string the right wins together uh, without then uh, dropping one at an inopportune time, which is unfortunately, I think, probably another side effect of fighting all the goddamn time. You know, but I, I don't think that necessarily, uh, you know, some guys, especially in the lightweight division might have to win eight in a row. If you're Donald Cerrone and you win four in a row and then you got some, some great highlights out of those. I don't know, man. That might be enough. Assuming you're willing to wait at least six weeks or something for a title shot, which who knows if he is. You know, what's a little bit interesting about Donald Cerrone and I, I, I like him. I like to watch him fight, but, but when you were in his presence, and you talk to him at like a uh, an open workout thing, uh, and I remember that this happened before he fought Charles Oliveira in Milwaukee at that fight night event, uh, which I think was Chris Lytle and Dan Hardy uh, was the main event there. Like the thing about most MMA fighters is that I'm always struck by what kind of normal dudes they are when you actually talk to them. Like they don't seem like by and large. They would be the kind of guys to fight other guys inside a steel cage stripped to the waist. Jim Miller certainly does not seem like that. No, Jim Miller, affable, normal dude from New Jersey. You stand around and talk to Donald Cerrone for a while. And I remember that he said that he was really looking forward to beating up Charles Oliveira in their fight because Charles Oliveira had looked at him funny uh, the week of the fight. You stand around and talk to Donald Cerrone and, and he seems like a guy who likes this a lot. Yeah. Like he seems like a guy who really, really enjoys his job and might do it for free if he wasn't doing it on, on national TV for a bunch of money, which uh, I guess is, is part of the thing that makes him so interesting and awesome, right? Yeah. And I remember being at that one where he fought uh, Wagner Rocha at uh, UFC 131 in Vancouver, I believe it was. And uh, like early on in the fight, he was really getting to work with the leg kicks. And there was a moment where he caught uh, Rocha with a leg kick and you could see Rocha do that little hop. You know, that little, oh, shit, that really hurt. Uh, I don't know if I'm going to be able to use my leg anymore, Hop. And you could almost just see, like, the faintest beginnings of a smile 
on Donald Cerrone right before he kicked him right in his goddamn leg again. That's the kind of mentality that that dude has, that just sort of old-fashioned meanness. Uh, that, yeah, he he when he sees that he is hurting you, it fills his heart with a certain warmth. Uh, and uh, he's just going to keep 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 on kicking you right in that that bum leg of yours until his heart overflows with joy. Right. Uh special kind of dude right there. Yeah, and I think we should also mention that that uh, you know, in, in spite of that attitude or maybe because of it and in spite of the fact that he's going to have 5 6 7 Budweiser's before he comes to the post fight press conference, also kind of a serious professional. Like you talk to him after his fight and it seems like if he went out there and delivered like a 13 second highlight reel knockout he would still be like well there were some things i did wrong that that kind of are still pissing me off well i also appreciate that uh you know it's not just this kind of bar brawler thing with him that he uh you know he's talked before about his mental issues at times uh you know trying to get his mind right uh to get in there and fight and that uh he says you know something about having six weeks to think about it uh to think about here's the guy you're gonna fight you know who he is what he does all that kind of stuff uh Something about that kind of messes with them and makes it more difficult. That it'd be one thing if you're in a bar and the dude wanted to step outside with you right then. You don't really have a chance to think about it. Or I think what he said was, get out at a stoplight uh, and, and, <laughs> and fight somebody. Which, I mean, if, if you told me that Donald Cerrone has done that before, I do not find that hard to believe. Uh, but that it's a completely different thing. And I've always thought that that is one of the weird things about professional fighting. Like you're going to meet this guy on this date. Uh, you're not mad at him. You know, there's nothing like that going on, but it's just, he's, you know, he's off somewhere getting ready to kill you. Uh, and you're going to have to show up that night and fight him. And, and that's kind of a weird psychological thing. And I appreciate how open he has been about his difficulty working through that, that there's a lot of like anxiety and fear that pops up in your mind beforehand. Uh, and you have to, you have to find some way to still get through all that and be your best on fight night. Uh, and I think that he would say that that's something he struggled with. And yet when you look at some of his performances, you don't really see that. Yeah, and he will give you his address on Twitter too. If you talk shit about him, he will send you his home address and <laughs> invite you to come steal his stereo. Say, come, come see me. Uh, you know who's going to be mad if the winner of this fight flies up the lightweight rankings? And that's Nate Diaz because he's beat both these dudes, but he's sitting at home still waiting to get that Diaz money. Yeah. I mean, if they give him some real money instead of that funny money, maybe everything could be different. Well, that's going to wrap up our conversation about this week's UFC Fight Night 40-something or other. Uh, we will be right back with round number three. All right, Ben. Well, a couple days after Donald Cerrone and Jim Miller do the damn thing, we've got the uh, UFC Fight Night 46 slash UFC Dublin slash UFC McGregor versus Brandau card airing on Fight Pass in the middle of the day in the United States. And you look at the card and, you know, this is not a bad little Fight Pass card. It's got two or three uh, worthwhile fights there at the top of the card, including what might be the most relevant fight on the card, a flyweight meeting between Brad Pickett and Ian McCall that could potentially result in, in a guy that would be in the, in the hunt for number one contender status, especially 
especially considering the news recently that uh, John Dodson is going to have to have knee surgery and is going to be out till next year. You've also got a welterweight matchup with Gunnar Nelson and Zach Cummings. And then uh, the main event, your featherweight fight, Conor McGregor versus Diego Brandao, obviously was supposed to be uh, Conor McGregor versus Cole Miller, but Diego Brandao steps in as a injury replacement fighter. Uh, I'm still, though, not 100% sure what to make of these fight pass cards, what's going on with them. One of the things that I think kind of muddies the water is that we know we have no uh, visible metric of how they perform in terms of how many people watch them. So it's really hard to know uh, if you're putting out either a national or, or international publication website podcast, it's really difficult to know. Let's say you'd, let's say, for example, you do a podcast where you have three rounds. For example. Three different topics that you talk about every week. It's really hard to know if you should spend an entire round talking about this weekend's fight pass show because you have no idea how many people are going to watch it. Uh, compounding but, uh, that issue is that Dana White comes out again. This is the second time he said that, you know, that this past, uh, what, a week or two in a, in a story by Kevin Ioli over on Yahoo. Uh, and he busts out more of these quotes, and I'll just read it here. Americans can't wrap their heads around the fact that we're not doing these cards for them. The fights are for the people in those countries. Say what you want about a, about a card, but there is nothing like a live UFC event. We've found that people who go to one of our live events tend to become regular fans. We're looking at a total attendance of these fight cards of 60,000 people. That's He's talking about the two uh uh, San Antonio show and then the, uh, what was the other one they did? Uh, New Zealand right before that. I don't think that's true though, the 60,000 people between the two of them. Oh, uh, he might also be talking about UFC 175, putting it up, putting them all together. I don't know what he's talking okay. about. Let, but let's and just, the tough finale. Let's, yeah, let's focus on the beginning of this okay, year. Okay, fine. If he is coming out and saying that these are regional fight events that are only marketed toward the people in these countries, do we care and does anybody else care? Well, I think that. We are kind of we're kind of screwed here. We have to talk about this one because we have uh, so many listeners in the the fictional nation of of Ireland. Uh, we're stuck. I mean, if we didn't talk about this one, this is this is their their big night. Yeah, uh, the people they listen to the podcast with the subtitles. Yeah, that's right. We'd we'd catch hell for it. They'd be just throwing bottles of Jameson at our heads. Uh, we'd we'd never be able to show our face and kill Kenny or whatever. Uh, That's not a real place. But, you know, it is that this weird thing. And then and, and it's you kind of feel like the UFC is going to twist the narrative to fit whatever they need at that exact moment. Uh, are people watching it? Yes, it's absolutely booming. It's, it's doing ins- insane things. You guys have no idea how awesome this thing is and the things that that Fight Pass is doing. Uh, really, because people don't seem that into it. Well, it's not for you, you know, and it's. Like the problem with saying like these aren't for you is wait are these fighters for us because it seems like they are all part of the same like UFC uh, organization where you're going to want us to care about those fighters at a later date so in order to get us to do that shouldn't you also want us to care about what they're doing now because how they do on this fight card is going to affect where they stand the next time we see them fight and you know what the stakes are to, to all those bouts I don't see how you can take. Uh, an event that if, if unless you're saying like the quality of fighters we're putting on there, it's minor league, it doesn't matter yet. Uh, that's the only way you, I could see that you could justify saying like, well, it doesn't matter if you guys watch. I mean, if you want us to care about the sport and these divisions and, and who's up and who's down in them, then shouldn't they all be for us? Shouldn't they all be for the fans of the sport? 
Yeah, and another part of this this article with Kevin Ioli of Dana White interview uh, is that he talks an awful lot about live gate receipts in it. You know, he talks yeah, about how well. Yeah, which is kind of new. Like, you don't hear that a lot before. Right, yeah. It seems like there's this new emphasis uh, on live gate receipts and how many people they drew to San Antonio and how many people they drew to New Zealand, how many people they're going to draw in Ireland this weekend. And he comes out, you know, he says it in that quote that I read that uh, it seems like the strategy is to try to get people to come to the live show and convert them into UFC fans, which I think is fine. I think that that is not a bad strategy uh, in terms of like trying to recruit new fans. We've talked before about wouldn't the fans in Ireland just like to see a good MMA show, not necessarily one with, uh, with an Irish guy headlining and Conor McGregor. Uh, but I, it also strikes me like as part of this article where Dana White says business is booming, they're making more money than they've ever made before. Uh, is the UFC's vision of itself in the future, this company that puts on 50 fights a year where a good portion of them are these kind of strange, regionalized, almost small-time events that wouldn't feel out of place if they were a Cage Warriors show or like an RFA show or a Titan Fighting Alliance show. Is that really what the UFC envisions for its future? Because... I'm going to be really very honest about this. That is a thing that I am not as interested in as the thing that this sport used to be. I appreciate your honesty. Thank you. You're welcome. What about if they were fighting for the European title? <laughs> yeah, that would that would add some uh some uh definitely some stakes there. And it's fun to joke about, but like it's a serious point, right? Like yes. this sport is changing into a different thing than it's ever been before, and if that's the future, like are people going to be less interested in it as a product? Well, also, uh, the, you know, like you said in that quote where Dana White talks about how we find that if people go to a UFC, live UFC event, then they're more likely to, to stick with it and become fans. Uh, and that seems to be treating it like it doesn't matter what they see, like who the fighters are and what caliber uh, of fighters they see once they get there. If it says UFC on the mat when they show up and you put on some sort of show uh, and have the ring girls walk around and wink and blow you kisses, everybody's going to be into it doesn't matter where anything else happens uh that suggests that it's just like the product the name if you show up for a live event of that uh then nothing else matters and that does seem to be how the ufc sees it at times and it seems like fans don't get as good of a deal out of that and this is something that you and i talked about before where if your argument is that like hey this is great for us uh business is booming we're making money hand over fist this way and yet uh we can all kind of look and see that the average quality of the fight card has gone down a little just because it has to when you have so many events and you know it's not like the world suddenly produced a greater number of high caliber fighters you know we're still basically at the same levels with the talent pool you're just spreading it a little thinner uh, if your argument is like hey this is good because it makes us money to give you a like slightly inferior product that's not an argument that you should be taking to the fans. That's an argument right. you should take to your shareholders or whatever yes. if you had them. That's an argument you take to your, you know, the internally, uh, like that's a reason for you to do it. It's not a reason for fans to support it. Like if you're saying like, hey, we figured out we can make more money by giving you less. Right. Yeah. If the, if it's true that the UFC is more profitable than ever by offering us inferior fight cards, that's terrible news. Yes. Right. Like yes. that means that. 
we're dealing with the Houston Astros type situation here where we're going to put a triple A team on the field and just because we think people are still going to come and, and, and we're going to make more money. It's like the second time you've burned the Houston Astros like in, in, in the last year. It's we, weird. We don't do well in the Houston markets. So uh, okay. You notice I didn't say anything about the Dublin firecrackers. Because <laughs> That's right. We would catch hell over that. Um, You mentioned earlier that this is kind of a raw deal for fighters. I think it's kind of interesting to look at a dude like Conor McGregor, who is very much being pitched as like a, a a big star, right? A big up and coming star in the featherweight division. And previous to like the injury to Cole Miller, now we have Diego Brandao in there. This was kind of like being set up as, as like his, his moment to like prove that he's more than just a mouth. He would be three and oh in the UFC. He would be this fast rising featherweight star. But like, again, since we have no metric by which to judge how many people are watching these fights, like, what does Conor McGregor get out of this in terms of, like, uh, elevating his star? Maybe he becomes a bigger star in Ireland, but does, like, winning a fight on a uh, an internet streaming service that we have no many pe- no idea how many people watch it, does that, like you said, make him a more mar- marketable commodity moving forward for bigger fights and pay-per-view appearances, et cetera, et cetera? You know, I don't know. I mean, I think that with Conor McGregor that uh, he does seem to have a certain charisma that I think people are going to seek out that fight either, you know, dirt, like when it's live or afterwards, especially if you hear Conor McGregor went out there and beat the shit out of Diego Brandau. People are going to want to see that. Uh, and, uh, you know, like you said, he is big enough in Ireland that I think that uh, they are going to be pretty excited to see him fight in the UFC main event there. I wonder about a guy like, you know, if you look at that flyweight fight between Brad Pickett and Ian McCall, you know, Brad Pickett's a guy who has a win over Demetrius Johnson. He's a guy who, you, now that he's a, a flyweight, uh, you could potentially see him uh, being a, a title contender uh, with a win and a strong performance here. And yet, if you put him on the undercard of a fight pass show and people don't see it, then when you turn around, you, you, you just keep feeding this problem you have of trying to drive interest in the flyweights, right? The last flyweight title fight you had uh, did terrible pay-per-view numbers from everything we hear. Now the guy who seems like he could be uh, one of the most realistic contenders is on this thing that not a whole lot of people are probably going to see. So, you know, then when you show up with him and say, hey, it's Brad Pickett, he, you know, how do you know that they even know how he got there or why he deserves to be there? I mean, I think that maintaining that kind of like narrative thread is important. I, I think that that's how you keep track of what the stakes are of the fights and, and what's going on in the sport. I mean, I think that the danger is, uh, and I've said it before, is that when Dana White says, hey, these aren't for you, don't watch it if you don't like it. Well, if you get people into that habit of just not watching it, for one thing, that's that's a bad thing because then you know they realize there's other stuff to do. Uh, but also, they start to lose touch with what's happening in the sport who's up who's down what what fights look like they're going to be made where people's career trajectories are going uh and then they once they gradually kind of fall out of touch with it it's harder for them to get back in and then you you know in that way i think you gradually lose fans or they might only tune in for two or three big pay-per-views a year Uh, i think that's a mistake yeah, I think it's a, it's a strange situation right now in the sport. And frankly, we're in a, we're in a place now where it seems like it's going to be really hard to turn the ship away from this course that we're on, even if the people holding the wheel wanted to, because we've got the, the, we've got fight pass now as a thing. We've got the Fox contract as a thing. Uh, and so it seems like, uh, that, that we're just, we were contracted to get, to provide a certain amount of content. And so it's going to be, Really hard, I think, to start trimming that back. It'll be interesting to see what happens uh, in the future, not only when the the schedule for next year and years beyond uh, uh, get released. Um, let's uh, 
Let's do just saying stuff, and then we'll get out of here for this week, Ben. Uh, I don't, I don't, don't know if you saw the Twitter tiff that occurred between Jacob Volkman and World Series of Fighting. I did as a this of past fact. week. Uh, Jacob Volkman uh, feels like he's been done dirty a little bit by World Series of Fighting. His side of the story is that uh, they didn't give him as many fights as they promised him. They didn't pay him as much as they promised him for the fights that he did. He did have, and uh, he he finished off his his Twitter rant by saying maybe it's time we had a fighters union now when died in the wool conservatives like Jacob Volkman are calling for a fighters union you know that it's hard out there for a mixed martial arts fighter you know some shit has to be seriously fucked up when a dude who is best known for saying he wants to fight the president and railing, railing against socialized medicine and getting in John Jones's ass on Twitter frankly when UFC 151 got uh canceled Postponed? you know yeah, postponed. Yeah. You know, some shit is seriously fucked up when this dude all of a sudden is like, hey, maybe we could band together and work as a union for the good of the whole instead of continuing to carry on as individuals. A socialist. So I'm just saying, good for you, Jacob Volkman. <laughs> God, saying. man. Just saying. Well, Chad, I'm just saying this week, you'll recall that I mentioned that I had these uh, UFC trading card kind of deals that uh, I was going to throw in with yes. with uh, the prize winning packs for the essay contest. Uh you know, I out of curiosity, I opened a pack recently and I brought you a pack also yes, to open. Yes, you did. Uh I'm just saying these cards are bullshit. Whoa, harsh indictment. I, well, you know, really what I want to say is I want to say this to the people who are going to receive them cuz I'm still going to put them in these these uh winning essay contest packs. But I'm just saying I want you people to know that I know that they are not an actual real prize. Because these cards, it just seems like pretty lazy. For one thing, the baffling decision to, on the front of the card, like I'm holding one of Alexis Davis, and it has a picture of Alexis Davis, and it just says Davis. Like all the cards just say they're the last name of the person on the front of the card, not their full name, which I think is a really weird choice. And then you turn it over thinking you'll see the usual stats and whatnot that you're used to from the days when you would you collect baseball know a guy's cards. on base percentage. Yeah. And his whip. Yeah. His ERA. Uh, and instead you get, uh, height, weight, where they're fighting out of their weight class and their Twitter handle. And then like two sentences of just like boilerplate. PR bio kind of stuff about them, uh, which in which everybody is ready to make a huge splash in their division and that kind of like meaningless jargon. Uh, I'm just saying these are bullshit. Also, I'm really upset because I opened my pack. I have, here's the cards that I got in my pack. Alexis Davis, Rafael Dojanjos, Chris holds it down, Holdsworth, and Scott Jorgensen, and a relic card. I'm putting air quotes around that. You can't see it, but I'm doing it. Uh, which, was a Roy McDonald relic card, which presented itself as if it was a piece of his fight shorts under like the little, like embedded in the card. I tore it open and it was just a couple individual little pieces of fabric that did not seem like at all, like they were, were fight shorts. And then there was a little fine print saying this relic does not come from any individual or specific fight or event, uh, which then just made me mad. And then I saw what you got in your pack. Yeah. I got a much better pack. I got a Shogun Hua card, <laughs> a Cub Swanson God card. Damn it. Uh, light or flyweight champion Demetrius Johnson card. Oh. Uh, the immortal Matt Brown card. And I got a relic card featuring Soa Palele on the front of it that, and also what contends to be an actual piece of the UFC 164 octagon mat. And I don't know. It could be. 
it's blue and it's it feels like canvas or it's kind of rougher than I might have expected. It could be an actual piece of the canvas. This is so, bullshit. In your face, frankly. You got like the equivalent of when you would like open up a pack and suddenly there's like a Jose Canseco card in there. Yeah, I got a Sol Palele rookie card over here with a piece of the mat. That is crap. I'm sitting over here with fucking Matt Noak. <laughs> All right, that's right exactly i don't even know who that is exactly uh that's gonna do it for the co-main event podcast this week we'll be back next week to tell you what happened at all these shows uh as for right now though we are done we are through we are out okay what if i give you alexis davis uh and scott jorgensen uh for your shogun hula no man were you crazy okay i'll throw in hold it down holdsworth for 